Texas baseball's slide continues. Meanwhile, the NBA playoffs are heating up, and our NBA analyst Steve Helwick joins us to talk about those. Then we talk hockey, and we finish off the show, as always, with the fun fact of the week. This is the Thomas Fitz Show. Welcome into the Thomas Fitch Show, presented by One and O Sports. I'm your host, Thomas Fitch. We're going to kick off the show with some Texas baseball. Before we get started with that, make sure if you're listening to this or watching it, make sure you subscribe, you like, you comment. Um, next week, we'll have a mailbag, so feel free to submit questions, submit hot takes, and you get shouted out on the show, and I'll talk about whatever you want me to talk about. So let's get started with Texas baseball, and it's time to sign, sound the emergency horns, uh, pun not intended. I don't know what's wrong with this team. You look at the, over the weekend, lose the series to West Virginia, and you know at least it was better than the Oklahoma State series where you get swept 15 nothing, 10-2, 11-10. All three games were closed. Obviously, Texas taking the Sunday game, winning 10-2. to That looked good. But they lose. Bullpen lifts up a late run, lose 3-2 to on Friday. Bullpen lets up late runs on Saturday, lose 9-8. to And then Sunday, they're able to hold on for a 10-2 to win. But, you know, the problem really is the bullpen. And, you know, brought it up last week. I mean, it's, and it's still the problem this week. Bryce Elder continues to pitch pretty well. He's got... Something like a two nine seven, yeah, two nine seven ERA, which is I would you know for for a college pitcher, any ERA under three for a starting pitcher, that's pretty darn good. And you know Elder's done a great job. Gave up two runs in the game, but you know reliever comes in, gives up another run. Same thing in uh, on Saturday's game where the Horns lost nine to eight. They uh, Horns were up going into the eighth give up a run in the eighth, two runs in the ninth, they go on and lose that game. And, I mean, this is this is the tale of the season for Texas, is not being able to hold on to leads in the eighth and ninth innings. And if they're not able to do that, I mean, I there's a decent chance this team doesn't make the postseason. Um, and then, obviously, yesterday... Horns go on the road to Corpus Christi and lose two to eight. So, you know, it is it is just mind boggling to me what this team has done from, you know, the beginning of the season where they beat, you know, beat LSU, sweep LSU, take one of four against, you know, one of the top teams in the nation, Stanford, on the road. They win the series against Tech. They split the series against Arkansas. You know, and then all of a sudden they they lose the series to TCU. They blow that big lead on that Sunday against TCU. You know, they were able to sweep Xavier the next weekend, but all those games were close. They lose to A&M at home in the midweek game. They split the series with Baylor. They lose to Kansas State. They get swept by Oklahoma State. I mean, this team is teetering on the edge of not making... The tournament, 25 and 22, 6 and 11 in conference. 
I mean, 6-11 and 11 in conference is terrible. And I know it's a deeper Big 12 conference than the past, but I mean, getting swept by Oklahoma State losing at home in the home series to Kansas State doesn't look good. And, you know, I keep saying it. The Horns got to win out the rest of the series. Horns got to win out the rest of the season. They got Kansas on the road in Lawrence. And they're home against Texas State, home against Incarnate Word, and home against Oklahoma for a three-game series to close out the season. They got to they, they, they at least win both those series. And probably win both of those, ga- those, um, those midweek games, which are both at home if they want to have a chance at making the tournament. And it is, it's insane that we're talking about what Texas needs to do to make the tournament at this point in the season when, you know, a month ago we were talking about can they host a Super Regional? Can they, you know, are they a team that, that can make it to Omaha? And now we're just saying can they make it to the regionals? All right, let's send it over now to our interview with Steve Helwick talking NBA playoffs. Okay, we now welcome in our NBA analyst, Steve Helwick. You know, half the time when I say, like, analyst, it's just like a person. You're, like, actually, like, you're our resident NBA analyst. I guess so. <laughs> all right, so let's let's break down all the series going on right now. Pretty chalky year this year, followed March Madness. Um, what would you say of the first-round matchups was the biggest surprise? I don't think anyone really picked Portland to beat Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City's a team with a lot of playoff experience. Two all-stars, Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Just a solid team built all around. And the fact that Portland, without their their third best player and their right. center, Yusuf Nurkic, they won that series in five games and really shut down Paul George for the majority of the series. I know George had those shoulder issues, but still, he just didn't look like himself. And Damian Lillard just putting the cap on the series. The biggest surprise of the series is, of the playoffs, is Damian Lillard taking that shot. Yeah. Which 38, I, 37 feet. He had so much time to shoot. and <laughs> to just sh- drive in. Get a, I mean, he needed one point. And that, and that was the hardest flex in his post-game press <laughs> conference when he said it was comfortable range and he didn't want the game decided by a whistle. <laughs> a ref call, I guess. He didn't want to get fouled and shoot yeah. game-winning free throws. It was bold, and now he has two of the five walk-off series winning shots in NBA history. Yeah, it was incredible. I talked about it last week. It hurt as a Thunder fan, but it was also like, I'm not even mad. Like You, you can't get mad at that <laughs> shot. I mean, if Damian Lillard can make that shot, he can make that shot. Honestly, Paul George played decent defense. Yeah. I won't even guard him from there. No, there, there's no reason to because you figure with seven seconds left in the tie ball game, you're going to drive in and either drive and kick or try to go up and draw a foul. Lillard's built differently. Yeah, he is. I mean, it, what is his said? He's 7 of 8 from like 30-plus feet? 8 of 12, and or the rest of, of the down, NBA yeah. is shooting like sub-30%, yeah. like 20s percent on that. Yeah, which is insane. Um, let's let's start off talking about, in round two, the, the Trailblazers Nuggets series. Trailblazers take, or sorry, not Trailblazers, Nuggets take game one. How deep is this series going to go, and is it just going to be Nuggets dominating the whole way? I mean, I think... The Nuggets got a really good matchup in Portland. Mm-hmm. This is a team that they went 3-1 and one against in the regular season, and the one loss was when the Nuggets were resting their starters at the end of the year, and Portland basically had to do a wild comeback against the Nuggets' third-string players. And I think a lot of it is the Jokic matchup. Yep. 
don't have Yusuf Nurkic. If you had Yusuf Nurkic, that's a seven foot, two hundred eighty pound guy that you have guarding Jokic. But now you have Enes Kanter, who's not <laughs> known for being a great defender. No, not at all. And Jokic can just expose him. He had thirty seven points. Really didn't miss a shot. He got to the line twelve times last game, and. When you double-team Jokic in the post, that's also a double-edged sword because Jokic is the better, best passing big man I think I've ever watched play the sport. Yeah. And he knows where everyone is during those double-teams. He'll pass out, and there will always be someone driving. He'll find a Harris or Barton or Murray driving or open for a three in the Nuggets. I mean, they haven't really hit the threes yet at the rate they were in the regular season this playoff, but... That seems like it is likely to come with the Nuggets just hitting those threes mm-hmm. and then getting those open drives just because double-teaming Jokic. So the Blazers really don't have any answers defensively for guarding Jokic, which could mean the series could be over in five or six. The one thing, I mean, the Blazers have Damian Lillard. And yep. if you have Damian Lillard on your team, you always have a shot to win. Yeah. I mean, last playoffs he got swept, but he's bounced back in the best way possible. But my concern is Lillard had such an excellent game in game one by all standards 39 points 12 of 21 shooting he was hitting from 30 feet again he was getting to the line offensively he had an excellent game and the Blazers weren't really close I mean they lost that game in the third quarter when the Nuggets went on that big run right there and they also got contributions from some of their other players McCollum he was on and off in the game but Cantor was great down low Jokic Mm -hmm. isn't the best defender he's just a big body but Cantor was really good down low oh yeah I mean he did a great job with the fact that he had an injured right shoulder yeah I mean he was a game time decision and he played great offensively and really helped Portland in that in that Uh, I think this series comes down to tonight's game if the Nuggets win game two I think they'll be up 3-1 to one when they go back to Denver. Yeah. Portland's going to win one game in Rip yeah, City, will. at least. But if Portland cannot stop Jokic tonight, that should be series over, and that would send the Nuggets to the Western Conference Finals for the first time since, I think, 2009 when they played the Lakers. Let's go to the other side of the Western Conference Finals with two teams that... Will actually make the NBA Finals. Will actually make the win. NBA Finals, and also, I hate the the <laughs> Warriors and the Rockets. Um... Let's talk about game one. And actually, let me. I'm going to do. This is going to be terrible radio, but I'm going to do my best uh, James Harden impression. Ready? Ready? Foul. That's a foul, ref. That's a foul. Um, For those of y'all who couldn't see because you're listening to this, um, I I did a long jump, kicked out my legs, and drew the foul call because I'm James Harden. Um, Steve, what are your thoughts on, on the game one officiating? I thought there were the three Clay Thompson closeouts in the first half. I thought one of them was a foul for certain. That was Mm -hmm. the one where Harden was on the right wing. Right. And he made the shot anyway and was complaining to the ref on the way back. That time, Harden actually landed where he released. Mm -hmm. And Thompson invaded his closing space. On the other times, I think there was one that, with Thompson, that was certainly not a foul, and one that had a little gray area where Harden moved a little forward and Thompson kind of invaded the landing space. So I'll say there should have been maybe one and a half out of three calls there. The Draymond Green one, I don't want to hear anybody <laughs> arguing about that one because James Harden, you watch him when he takes an open three oh, or a yeah. contested three, which he doesn't do much. He only took a, a, like 18 contest, uncontested threes this year. He lands in his proper space. 
his goal on that Draymond Green play was not to make the shot. No. It didn't seem like it. It no. was to jump forward like a, I don't know, a long jumper <laughs> and kick, kick, out dra- his legs. kick out his legs at Draymond Green Generally and draw that out your legs is a Draymond Green move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that that's not basketball right there. Yeah. I'm glad that refs didn't call it at the end because that, that would have been an awful call. Just James Harden, I mean, his... Ba- he w- he wouldn't have landed balance. He would have landed way back, and that w- <laughs> if Draymond Green wasn't standing there. So I really don't like the move, but I'm very happy to see that a lot of the officiating blunders or whatever, it was corrected in Game 2. It really was. Yeah. Game 2 was a beautiful game of basketball where we just saw two great teams go at yep. it and play uh although the Rockets played from behind the entire game, never had a lead. It was a great they kept it close. Yes, it was an entertaining fourth quarter and it seemed like if Chris Paul hit that t- shot from the top yep. of the key in the late fourth quarter, Rockets would have cut it to three and if they had a stop, they would have had yep, a good chance to get momentum, right yeah. back into it. Yeah, no, I, I, I do I think obviously it's gonna be a really good series. I think it probably goes six or seven. Um we'll see Houston definitely needs to take one or probably both games in Houston. They have to take game three. No team's ever yeah. come back 3-0. <laughs> and I know the Warriors have those 3-1 jokes, but, but they're 3-0, not both. that's not happening. That's not yeah. happening. But but going back to the foul thing, I mean, everybody knows that James Harden just has a way of drawing fouls. And, you know, there's an extent to where, yeah, he does it within the rules. Mm-hmm. But there's also another extent where it's like, okay, yeah, he's winning MVPs because, you know, 10 or 15 of his 30 points a night are are on foul shots where he's just trying his whole goal is to draw a foul and I, I think that is cheating to an extent like yes it's a foul call but if your goal is to try and draw a foul I think that's just it's cheap yeah it's just like in football with the pass interference if you're not even trying to go for the catch and you're just trying to run into the defender right. and throw yourself on the ground I don't like that call so there's a lot of times when Harden drives in and he'll just throw his yep. arms throw off, the put arms the beard out. in the air, try to draw fouls in that yep. way. I mean, there's videos of some of his most ridiculous calls in the past of him not getting touched and throwing his beard up. Yep. Or there's a one one of my favorites where he piggyback rides Michael Carter-Williams <laughs> yeah. and draws the foul somehow. Yep. So he has inventive ways to do it. He's a great player oh, yeah. offensively. Absolutely. I mean, he's one of the most unguardable players in the league. He a great step-back move, one of the best guys at driving the league. I mean, he hit a lot of, like, contested threes so far yeah. in the series just with a step back. I mean, he's an incredible player. Yeah. And I just don't think all the drawing the fouls needs to really be an element of his game. Yep. Luckily, I don't think it was much in game two. He only got to the line nine times, which is below average. I was below the the line of 10.5 set in Las Vegas on how many free throws <laughs> he would take. So. That's incredible. Yeah. I, but, yeah. I mean, I will say this about about the whole closeout deal because I do hate when people just kick out their legs. But I'll also say this. I mean, we know what Zaza did two years ago. You know, we know that the Warriors kind of have a knack for just sticking that, that foot under the landing area, Well, the which thing, is now what's it's a flagrant foul now. Yeah, the thing you have to watch, though, was the Kawhi one that happened on the back foot, and Kawhi was actually going backward when that right, happened. Right, right. So he, that wasn't, one, he wasn't kicking his legs out. He was just making a regular shot. That one should be more concerning because... Yeah. Zaza really infringe. If the defender's going far backward, you have to try yes. to get your foot there. Yeah, and that was a play that ended the Spurs dynasty. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. Let's let's not bring that up. Let's, <laughs> on that note, or actually, we'll we'll wrap up the West. Who who do you see advancing from this series? 
Warriors, which means the Warriors get to the finals. My original pick was Warriors in seven because I thought the Rockets would steal one of the first two. Yeah. I thought it'd be a long series just like last year. But if the Warriors will probably win one of the three games at Houston left, I'm going to say Warriors in six. They'll Warriors close six, it out at yeah. Houston. They'll win, they'll win the game at Oracle. I think Houston takes the next two. Mm-hmm. Warriors will take the game at Oracle and then the Rocket and then take it in the Toyota Center game, game six. Yeah. I mean, they took it in Houston last year yeah. in game seven, so it shouldn't be too big of an issue for them. Yeah. So so you say they win that, win the Western Conference Finals, go to the NBA Finals? Yes. All right, so now let's let's go to the East before we hear who you have coming out of the East. Let's start with the, uh, we'll start with the 76ers Raptor series. And I would say this is the other series kind of keeping the NBA interesting. Because you have Joel Embiid and the whole Sixers just... I, they really haven't caused drama this series. They did last series, and I'm kind of waiting for for something to happen. But I feel like we kind of need... We need the Sixers in these playoffs to make it interesting. Uh, well, the Raptors don't have any personality, but... <laughs> the thing is, I actually think all four series are great for the NBA. And I think everyone could have gone either way from the start. I mean... The Rockets are a couple plays away from stealing game one. Yeah. So I think all four of these series are very tightly contested in the East especially. I can't tell you with more than like 50% confidence or like 30% confidence who's coming out of the East. Yeah. Because all four teams right now, both road teams, the Celtics and Sixers have stolen home court advantage. Sixers had a really good bounce back in game two against the Raptors. They got yeah. crushed in game one. <laughs> yeah, they did. It looked like they were just going to get exposed the entire series by the Raptors. Yeah. Raptors, Nick Nurse has been great with the lineup, something mm-hmm. Dwayne Casey struggled with a lot in Toronto. Kawhi Leonard was going off 45-11, and 11, was great defensively too. And in Game 2, the Raptors, this is one thing that's promising for the Raptors. I don't think the Raptors can play that badly again yeah. because they only had, I think, two, I think they went like 2 of 11 mm-hmm. off the bench and scored five bench points that game. Yeah. Like Serge Ibaka, he was not having a good game there. They weren't getting any contributions from Fred Van Vliet, who got shut out with zero points. I mean, they played Jody Meeks for like two minutes, and that was one of the worst was defensive. Five, five bench points? Yeah, five bench points. And that with Meeks, that was just awful defensive series. Yeah. But the Raptors starters, other than Kawhi Leonard, who went 13 of 24 and had 35 points, another great game for someone who's playing like a top three player in the world right now. Danny Green hits one shot, one of six from threes. Yeah. He had the most wide-open look to tie the game late. And Marc Gasol, he went one of six. But uh, we're, we'll get back to Gasol in a minute because yeah. he did really well in other areas. And Pascal Siakam, uh, Siakam, he didn't have the game that he's been having all playoffs. I mean, he dropped 30 in the Orlando series, 29 in game one, went 12 of 15 that game, was a great marksman from three-point range. This wasn't the Siakam that we were expecting to see in Toronto in Game 2, so that was another thing that hurt the Raptors. But the Sixers, Sixers didn't play well either. I mean, this was a great defensive game. When you look at the series as a whole and you see all the great defenders that there are, Danny Green, yeah. Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Gasol, I just named two former defensive players of the year, yeah. uh, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. I mean, this is just a length, so much length in this series. <laughs> Great yeah. uh, lineups overall used by these teams, and it, it'll it'll be a more low scoring series I think yep. going forward. But the thing was, 
Joel Embiid has been shut down. He has yet to score more than 16 points yeah. two games through this series, and the Sixers still got a win out of it. And that's just Jimmy Butler had a great game with 30 points, and they hit a lot of timely shots. But Embiid won them the game. Yeah, he did. I mean, when they needed a bucket, they had Embiid at the top of his key, drive in, just do like a dream shake-like fake, and get it in. I mean, Marcus Gasol had been shutting him down most of the game, most of the series. When they needed a bucket, Embiid got it, and that's a great sign for the process right there. And Sixers won despite Ben Simmons having six points, despite J.J. Redick being off, despite Tobias Harris scoring single digits. Yeah. So I guess that's also promising for the Sixers because both teams played pretty bad. It was still a great game. Yeah. And the Sixers managed to tie the series. I feel like if the Raptors went up 2-0, I think we'd call this series just about over. Yeah even though we hadn't seen a game in Philly yet, just because the Raptors had been playing such good basketball uh, ever since game one against the Magic. Yeah, so it's it's 1-1 going back to Philly, mm-hmm. uh, or going to Philly for the, the first time in the series. Who do you have taken it all? Raptors in six, I have. That was my original pick in the series. I'm going to stand by it. And I really... I, I'm really high on this Raptors team. I'm, it's not your old Raptors. No. They don't have DeMar DeRozan anymore. Kyle Lowry's turned into more of a third option behind Leonard Yeah, he doesn't Siakam. have to be a star as much. Oh. Well, he, <laughs> he did. Kyle Lowry, I need to talk about what Kyle Lowry did. This man had the game on the line, down three points, had the ball, <laughs> guarded by Tobias Harris. And I've watched the clip over and over, and I know it's intentional. He tried to nutmeg Tobias yep. Harris, an and one mixtape move. This is something you see in like the streets of New York with like yeah, bone, get through the legs, bone collector. Check, he tried to like NBA Street Volume Two this game, <laughs> and then he instantly regretted. It. I mean, he got Tobias in the spin cycle, but then Kyle Lowry had to like go all the way around him, dive for the ball, still somehow got it to Kawhi Leonard, who passed it off to Danny Green, and he couldn't have asked for a better look yeah. from three. But the fact that Kyle Lowry. <laughs> Had the guts to nutmeg Tobias Harris in a playoff game down three. I just cannot wrap my head around that. Kyle Lowry has really entertained us this playoffs in more ways than one. He started with a zero-point game, came back, had a great series to finish the Orlando Magic off, and then he does this. But I think the overall the Raptors, they don't have to rely on Lowry as much. I think yeah. Siakam and Leonard will... That duo is really going to carry them through the series. I think they'll outplay Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler, uh, the two, the small forward and power forward for the yeah. Sixers going forward. And Gasol's defense on Embiid, it kind of reminds me of last year when Horford was shutting down Embiid in yeah. the second round. And the Sixers just looked lifeless against the Celtics, the hospital Celtics who beat them in five games, which was, I think, the biggest surprise of last year's playoffs. So the Sixers, they tend to struggle sometimes when they face adversity. It looked like it was almost going to get to that point in the net series. It didn't get there. But based on how they performed last year against Boston, I think this Toronto team's I think this Toronto team's going to take this one and get to the conference finals. Yeah, so Embiid struggles and just the 76ers struggles overall in the playoffs, you know, since they've been making the playoffs the last couple of years. You think that's is that worrisome for them going forward because I feel like in the past it was Hey, they're struggling, but they're young. And now that they have this experience and they're still struggling, if if they can't make it out, if they can't make it to the conference finals, and you know can't have a good showing there, is there is there some panic in Philadelphia? There might be, but I still think this team's really young. This is only yeah. their second year in the playoffs under Brett Brown. Yeah, and Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. I mean, these guys have lots of good years on them left. 
I mean, so many teams failed so many times before they reached a point like this. Yeah. Like the Raptors, they've only they only had one conference finals under that core that was consistently getting top three seeds. Mm-hmm. But the 76ers, the two things that they need, they need depth. Yep. And they need shooting. Uh, losing last year in the playoffs, it's crazy to hear, but Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Ilyasova were two of their key pieces because yeah. they just seemed like walking buckets. Like when uh, Ben Simmons would kick it out to the three-point yep. line for them. It seemed just automatic, especially in the Miami Heat series last year. This year, they really lacked that consistent three-point shooting. Uh, last game, shot sub-30% in the win. And J.J. Redick just hasn't been feeling himself this playoffs. We haven't seen too much out of Redick other than that bucket against uh, the Nets in Game 4 that really helped them pull ahead in the series. And Mike Scott hit the game winner. That was probably their best shooting stretch, it seems, of the series. I mean, you have Ben Simmons, doesn't shoot threes. Joel Embiid, he has been off his this entire playoff yeah, run. Yeah, he has. I mean, now he's just doing that move that I don't think anyone's going to fall for where he pump fakes at the top of the three-point line <laughs> and yep. drive in. It's, I mean, it's a good move, especially if Embiid can hit them, but he's hitting right now, the, I think, 20% this playoff, so it hasn't been a good look yeah, for him. Efficient, but then you look at the rest of the Sixers bench, and James Ennis, he can shoot threes, and that's really about it to get you a consistent three-point. Because T.J. McConnell's really been out of this series just because Toronto's so big, and he can't really guard many Raptors players that are on the court unless like it's Fred Van Vliet yeah. or something. I mean, so T.J. McConnell's been neutralized out of this series, as is Boban Marjanovic. I mean, Boban, the Raptors have such good floor spacing, Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka, I mean, those guys will hang out at the three-point line. A lot of times they've turned into more shooters recently. So Boban Boban just sits in the paint normally (laughs) on defense and anchors that the lane. So Boban's not really going to play in the rest of the series. So the Sixers have to tighten their bench even more. And that's going to be something that really hurts uh, Philly going forward, I think. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. Probably going to be, you know, a great series. But let's go to the final, our final round two Matchup Bucks and Celtics series tied one one. Celtics dominated, absolutely dominated game one. Bucks came back and pretty much dominated game two. Um, where is this series headed? To seven games, yeah, just like last year. But last year it was a two seed undermanned Celtics squad against a seven seed Bucks team that didn't really have any coaching or any offensive sets. And now both teams are highly improved. Yeah. I mean, we saw two completely different games. The Celtics dominated game one by a run they went on in the third quarter. Last night, the Bucks it was a 75-71 game, a 74-71 game, right. and the Bucks went on a 31-4 run to close it out. That's insane. So both games just had huge second-half runs where the team separated themselves, and I think that Eric Bledsoe is the engine that makes this Bucks team go. Yeah. Eric Bledsoe was absent in Game 1, non-existent. And that happened a lot of the games last year in the Celtics series when he was getting punked by Terry Rozier, who was calling him Drew Bledsoe and yep. showing up in the Patriots yep. jerseys to the games. That's right. That was a fun storyline of last year's playoffs. But Bledsoe came back last night, had 21 points, shot pretty efficiently, and just was a factor all around the court. And for the rest of the Bucks, the Bucks that was their best three-point shooting performance in franchise history in the playoffs. They had hit 23s. Chris Middleton responsible wow. of seven of yeah. them. Hit seven of ten. Giannis was playing well. I mean, game one, he was shut down by Al Horford and Aaron Baines. Mm-hmm. was getting a lot of those buckets to fall. And the thing about Giannis is, going into the playoffs, 
when he's a pick and roll ball handler, you know that teams are going to go under his screens just because he's not a shooting threat. That's one part of his game that he hasn't really developed yet. But it's been promising for Milwaukee that he shot over 50% from the three-point line this series. I believe he went 3 of 5 in Game 1 and 2 of 4 in Game 2. And he's actually hitting these threes. So the Celtics are daring him to shoot, and Giannis is taking the Celtics' offers and doing it because they're just going to keep going under a screens. But I like Giannis best as the screener in these pick-and-roll sets with Bledsoe, where, he, where Bledsoe, who's very good at driving to the hoop, can run the pick-and-roll with Giannis, and that's a really effective play on Boston. Although Al Horford, he's been a great defender down low, doesn't have the most size in the league. I mean, Al Horford's the closest thing we have to, like, uh, late 30s Tim Duncan now yeah. in the NBA. He kind of reminds me of a smaller, like a not as great as a rim protector, late 30s yeah. Tim Duncan. Yeah. So I, I like the Celtics in that regard. I like a lot of the... I mean, this is a little aside. I don't think yeah. there's any veteran in the NBA I think that deserves a ring more than Al Horford. Maybe Marc Gasol. Did right Al now. Horford really not have a ring? No, the, I guess he's you, never well, been in the finals. You know where I get confused is because he was with, he was with Florida when they won, and so I've oh. always kind of like conflated that with like, oh yeah, he got a title, and it's like not one that counts. I, I remember I predicted the 2015 Hawks to lose to the 2015 Warriors in seven games in the finals that wow. year. So I thought he was going to be there, but I, I'm a big Al Horford fan, and I think just like Bledsoe's the key to the uh, the Bucks going forward. Mm-hmm. I think Horford is to the Celtics. He had that 20-point, 11-rebound double-double in Game 1. Had that block over Giannis that went viral where he just obliterated him at the rim. And he was what helped the Celtics. He fueled the Celtics team last year when they were missing Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, although Hayward's less of a factor now. But if the Celtics want to win this series, you can't afford Jason Tatum to go 2 of 10. Mm-hmm. Tatum's looking really passive now. Yeah. Not looking like the player he did last playoffs when he was confident. And Kyrie Irving going 4 of 18. And going on that, the one thing that the Celtics team this year, they're too reliant on Kyrie Irving. Last year without him, I mean, there were nights where it was Terry Rozier's night, nights where it was Jalen Brown's night, Jason Tatum, Al Horford in the playoffs, Marcus Morris. We were getting great contributions from everyone. But I think Kyrie Irving... He's trying to do too much, and that will that's a double-edged sword for Boston because sometimes it'll help him because Kyrie gets into his inferno mode where he's hotter than almost any player in the league. Just I mean, there's a couple of players that have that, like Kemba and Clay Thompson, where they catch fire, they're unstoppable. We call it untucked jersey Kyrie. Yeah, exactly. And then there's the times like last night where he can't hit a shot. He's 4 of 18. He's held to single-digit points, and, and Milwaukee just does a great job of shutting him out of the game, and Boston's not going to win one of those games when they're expecting that much production out of Kyrie Irving. So I think Boston should, when they approach it more as a team and they're, everyone's getting equal dividends, yeah. then I think Boston's a better team. And I, I know Brad Stevens is as good, and Mike Budenholzer. Yeah. These are two of the best coaches in the NBA. will make great adjustments, and the thing about a seven-game series, this one should go back and forth because... Every game will be the team adjusting to what went wrong in the previous game. Yeah. So I think it's going to be back and forth, back and forth. I think my pick's Boston and seven still for the end of this series. This Boston team's gained a lot of veteran playoff experience over the years. Giannis, this is his first playoff series win. The Bucks hadn't won a series since 2001. And 
they're still trying to, I think, work their way with this roster. It's a talented roster. They're going to get Malcolm Brogdon back for Game 3, I think, and that's a really important addition on their most efficient shooters. And a good trivia fact is he is now one of the, I don't know, it's like 9 or 10 members of the 50-40-90 club. Wow. Yeah, he shot 50% on field goals, 40% on threes, and 90% on free throws this year, which... The other names in that list are like Larry Bird, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, yeah. Reggie Miller, so <laughs> Steve Nash. So you now you throw Malcolm Brogdon in. It'll win you some Elite money company. at the bar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all right, so we're running out of time, but real quick, who you got winning it all? I have the Warriors surprise winning it all over the Raptors in mm-hmm. six. I don't think this Warriors team's as good as ones in the past just because I think their depth's struggling a little. Although Andre Iguodala's had a great game last night against the Rockets. He's having a fantastic series so far. Uh, finding open lanes, she's a great cutter, and with the Warriors' ball movement, and Iguodala is getting open and getting a lot of easy buckets in there. So I think Golden State versus any of these East teams is a fun series that everyone should watch. So, I mean, I'm I'm really excited for the rest of how these playoffs shape up. Yeah. All right, well, Steve, thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right, let's talk some hockey before we get to the Fun fact of the week are Sharks, San Jose Sharks, um, are up 2-1 in the series. They won 4-2 last night in Colorado. Uh, game four, I think, is tomorrow night, also in Colorado. But big win for the Sharks to get back the home ice advantage. Is that what they call it in hockey? Home ice advantage. Um, big hat trick by Logan Couture, the center um, just a heck of a game. I mean, the 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 first two goals were were the the ones that counted. He had a third goal in extra, not extra time, but when uh, open empty net goal. Still learning, still learning the terminology here, but empty net goal and then two others. So really good game for him. Also, you know, someone who I think has played well this series, Martin Jones. Not necessarily known for being the best. Goalkeeper, the the Sharks team generally known for their offense, but he had uh, 27 shots against, only gave up eight goals, 25 saves. It's a .926 save percentage. For those of you who don't know hockey like me, that's pretty darn good. So Martin Jones and Logan Couture, definitely the players of the night in that game. And... Looks like you know if I if I was making predictions on this series, looks like it's gonna be it's gonna be a close series. I think it goes six or seven. The you know Sharks took game one, Avalanche took game two, Sharks took game three. But even game three, Sharks got up two zero. Avalanche came back and tied it up in the third period before the Sharks scored the the two go ahead goals. But you know the Avalanche are fighting hard. They you know they're they're one of those teams that. Just about no lead feels safe. And because of that, I think it's going to be a great series. I think it's going to come down to the wire. You know, hopefully our Sharks, um, I can be biased about that. Hopefully our Sharks pull it off. Also, hopefully someone from the Sharks sends me some merch. Still haven't gotten any word from that. I also have a little improvement tip for hockey. Um, how to make hockey better. And... Um, I think this is this is what hockey is missing to make it you know a bigger, more popular sport. Like I know that they're trying to do. Here's the rule change: if you ever watch hockey, 
and you ever see like a really good goal, oftentimes what happens is the puck, you know, say like they pull the goalie, so it's an empty net goal. The puck bounces in, and it shoots right back out, and it's the least satisfying thing ever. A goal should be satisfying. Soccer does this great. You kick the ball, it hangs in the net, and then it drops, and it doesn't bounce out. When I see these pucks ricocheting in and then popping back out, it happens so fast, half the time I don't even realize it's a goal until the players score. So hockey needs to develop nets that will keep the puck from bouncing out. And I honestly think people would watch hockey like 10 times more than they do right now, which I realize is a low number. But these are, these are the little changes that hockey needs to make if they ever want to grow the brand to an attainable level of success, I guess you could say. All right. So that was talking hockey. All right. Let's get to our fun fact of the week. And the first fun fact sponsored by Travel 100 Group, Happy Travel Advisor Day. Fun facts. Fun facts. We get multiple fun facts in this fun fact ad read. Did you know that 41% of millennials are planning trips through a travel advisor more than any other age group? Actually kind of surprised me. Over 20%, almost said 200, over 20% of travel advisors have visited 50 countries or more. Hashtag Travel Advisor Day. So that was brought to you by Travel 100 Group at Travel 100 Group. Actually was not sponsored. But that's a good reminder that for those of you you out there who are looking to um, sponsor someone, for those of you listening to this, I'm pointing at myself. We're looking for sponsors. Um, we'll take anyone, any amount of money. Heck, you send me a shirt. I'll talk about your, your brand. Um the other fun fact, since that was kind of a quote-unquote ad, this is from uh, Father Rasha at Rasha256. He says, fun fact, even the spray allergy meds can, in fact, make your stomach unhappy. Well, Father Rasha, I think the problem is you're not supposed to f- spray allergy meds on your stomach. You're supposed to spray them in your nose, and then it'll get rid of the congestion. So clearly the problem here is about the placement and application of the allergy meds and not the allergy meds. All right, that is all we have from this week. We have the season finale coming up next week. A lot of guests, great show, going out with a bang. Uh, But until then, I'm Thomas Fitch, and this is the Thomas Fitch Show. Wow, I really messed that up. From the Thomas Fitch Show, I'm Thomas Fitch. Hook 'em horns. Let go of everything.